Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Tonight, our Five Crown series, all right, we'll be closing this evening, uh, this series Next next Wednesday, I'll be springboarding another series that will probably carry on until Easter time. Uh, next week, I'll be springboarding on a series that kind of evaluates the day that Jesus was on the cross and some of the difficulties that he had to contend with and how he contended with those difficulties on the cross can help us whenever we, we meet our own bad days in our life that be kind of leading up toward Easter. And so that will start next Wednesday. But we're going to finish tonight uh, the five crowns. First Thessalonians chapter number 2. I'm going to read verse 13, and then I'll skip down to verse number, verse number 17. The Bible says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. We're going to finish here tonight talking about the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm so grateful, Lord, for being able to be here grateful lord that we can feel your presence regardless lord what may be going on in life and regardless lord even god of who lord is here not here god you lord jesus god can show up in the middle lord jesus of a grouping of people god and make yourself known in a way god that is undeniably you i pray oh lord today god help us to learn of your word and your scriptures lord this one more time as we consider lord these crowns and the word of the lord in the name of jesus christ that i pray amen you may be seated good to see dixie tonight amen as well don't want to don't want to forget dixie back there hallelujah paul tells us in verse number 17 of our text that he and uh, some of the other ministers had been taken from this particular group of people. Note, this is in the book of Thessalonians. He is speaking to the church at Thessalonica. He's speaking to these Thessalonian people. And he tells them that he and some of the ministers have been taken away from the Thessalonians. They've been taken away for a period of time. And although they were not present there in body, that these people were still very dear and close to their hearts. And so Paul lets them know that 
it was not of his, his, his own desire that, that he had to leave, but he was basically forced to leave them. But although he was forced, that he did desire to see their face again. He wanted to see them face to face. He didn't just want to uh, convey uh, what he wanted to say to them just through writing. But he wanted to see them face to face. As a matter of fact, I think whenever you come to the close of, 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 chapter, of chapter number four, I believe it is, or five, we read along in there, actually, uh, where is it? First, First Thessalonians, somewhere around, I think it's number two, toward the end of number two. Yeah, that, that he, he, he's explaining and onward that he didn't really want to write to them by ink, but he wanted to come and visit them, amen, just face to face. And so he said Satan, though, had hindered him from coming back. Satan had hindered him from showing up, amen, again after he had left. And so since he wasn't permitted to come, uh, not by his choosing, there were people, enemies, if you will, adversaries, other people around the church of Thessalonica here that were persuading them and basically telling them that Paul's absence uh, was because he didn't care for them. And so word started going through the rumor mail, as it were, and being spread. The reason Paul really hasn't come back, that he really has no care or compassion for y'all, when that was not the case at all. Paul's trying to set the record straight concerning that. But since they had been fed those lies, and you know how it is sometimes when you hear things. It's hard to really discern sometimes whether it is a truth or whether it's a lie. And so there's some people that's buying, some of these Thessalonian people are buying into this. And so it's with all of that in mind, Paul knowing what they have been fed, that he comes to them with verse number 19, verses 19 and verse number 20, because verses 19 and 20 really are reassuring words that Paul is trying to offer these Thessalonica, Thessalonica people, uh, hoping to combat the lies that they have been fed, the lies that he didn't care for them or he had no concern toward them. And so these Thessalonican people to Paul, they are very important people to the apostle Paul because they had been some of the fruits, if you will, of his ministry. They had been some of the people that had been won by the word of God that he had spoke into their life or in their cities and communities. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 5, this is Paul speaking. He says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And so he says, we shared the gospel with you, the word with you. You received it. It was powerful to you in so much that many of you even received the Holy Ghost. He goes on in verse 6 and says, and you became followers, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So he says, you didn't just hear the word, you didn't just have an experience that took place in your life. He said, but you began to follow us as we follow Christ. You started to walk according to the will and the purpose of the Lord. So you can only imagine how important really than these people were to, uh, to Paul. It would just be just as important as any member of a congregation would be to their pastor, especially if they had been saved or come to God under their, their, their leadership or under their tenure or their pastorate. And in verse number nine, he goes on even to speak about these people 
uh, that had followed him and followed the message of the Lord, he began to talk about the abrupt change that had surfaced in their lives. He said to them, these Thessalonican people, he said, you turned to God from your idols in order to serve the living and the true God. You left your idols in order to serve the Lord. And all of that change happened because uh, when they received, as verse 13 tells us, whenever they received the word of God from Paul, they considered it to be just that, the word of God and not the word of some man or men. And so that word worked so effectively and they allowed that word to work so effectively in their life and they believed on it insomuch that Paul then poses the question in verse number 19 are not you in the presence of God at his appearing Paul was so convinced because of the radical change the radical movement from idols to God having received the spirit following him and the purposes of God that they would someday then be appearing before the Lord whenever the Lord returned Paul as a matter of fact, asked them basically two rhetorical questions there in verses 19. And the, the questions are basically driving home uh, really the importance that the, the Thessalonica people were unto the Apostle Paul. He says to these people, he says, what is our hope? What, what, what is my joy or crown of rejoicing? He said, is it not that you are in the presence of the Lord when he comes back Paul saying my joy and my hope my crown of rejoicing is that you people that others are telling you you don't mean anything to me that, 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 that they're telling you that I don't really care for you he says my hope the thing that's just going to be the crown on my head is knowing someday that whenever we appear before the Lord you're going to be there as well you're going to be right there beside me uh, the fruits if you will of the word of the God and, and the preaching of the word and so we have something that's happening here because the Bible speaks about that when the Lord appears or whenever he appears that they would be found there. The Lord's coming is a very major emphasis or theme all throughout the New Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, from my study, the subject can be found in about one out of every 20 verses in the New Testament Scripture. The subject of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is there. About every 20 verses, there is there if the ratio, that is. About every 20 verses, there's the coming of the Lord that is being zeroed in on. And more so in the book of 1 Thessalonians is the subject matter of the Lord's return indicated in every Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, uh, his return is one of the themes of this book. And so once again, here in verses 19 and 20, we have two things that are paired together or mentioned together. And that is a crown also mentioned along with, again, the appearing of the Lord. We have had this occur in the past five weeks, amen, on more than one occasion. Because these crowns or these rewards are present again for us at the end of our race or at the finishing of our match, whenever it is complete, when we have been, as we've seen through these past weeks, when we've been faithful for the church at Sardis, I believe, or Smyrna, rather, faithful unto death, as Paul said, when he fought his fight, finished his course, when on that day it's spoken of, his appearing uh, last week when we were talking about the crown of glory, he says, when the chief shepherd shall appear, Amen. All these crowns seem to be in conjunction then with the coming of the Lord. Paul says, 
He says, our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing, our reward is that you are in the presence of God at his appearing. He says it quite plainly then in verse 20, just takes back all of the, 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 the layers of the onion and says, you are our glory and our joy. In other words, Paul's saying, folks, Thessalonica people, you folks are so precious to us that one of the rewards when Christ returns will be that you are there accounted for in his presence just as well as us. Now, with that being said, this is somewhat different from all the other crowns that we have come across thus far because this crown of rejoicing is a little different. It's a little separate from the others because Paul seems to be telling us that the people that he had influenced through his ministry and preaching, the people that he had influenced that became followers of Christ, sufferers with Christ, he said were his crown or joy or his glory, his crown of rejoicing. In other words, the crown of rejoicing is the people, the people we've helped win to the Lord either knowingly or unknowingly. It's not so much a literal crown on the head of rejoicing, but the people themselves are going to be a crown or as a reward to us. The ones that you've gave a word of instruction to concerning the Lord, the ones that you pointed to Calvary, the ones that you, you know, divulged what repentance and water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost was all about. When those people stand before God, on the day that we stand before God, they are in essence to us a crown of rejoicing. And here's the thing. You can have that type of impact on a person knowingly or unknowingly because there's people that observe your life whether or not you know they are or not that may have some type of foothold or bearing on their eternity by what they witness in your very own life. And so whenever people look, the fact of the matter See, there's people in our lives, no doubt, that each of us has purposely tried to reach. All right? We know who those people are that we purposely tried to reach for the Lord's. But there's probably even a greater number that we have reached, quote, unquote, that's just been observers of our life, that we never have had a, a, a verbal exchange with face-to-face, but they have been observers of our life. And so it's even among the observers that we may have that we've had a, to us, an unknown impact upon them that only heaven will be able to reveal who they are or where they are. But if they are there as a result of having peered into our lives and something of our lives helped direct or guide them, then they are among that mass and number of being a crown of rejoicing for and unto you. The crown of rejoicing that Paul speaks about isn't made up I think it's important. It isn't made up of just Thessalonian converts alone. He talks even about the converts of Philippi as being his crown as well. Note, if you will, Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, and then I'm going to read chapter 4 and verse 1. They kind of really go together, although there's the divisions here that's been made up years later. They kind of really go together. He says, who, he's speaking of Jesus Christ, shall change our vile body, that it may f- 
fat, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Here is a change again that's taking place. Folks, we're talking, about, we're talking about his return. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And so Paul, again, he's considering anybody that has somehow come to the Lord, that he's had an influence in their life, that whenever they stand before the Lord, they are going to be a crown of rejoicing. They make up his crown of rejoicing. He calls them, whether Philippian believer or Thessalonian believer, he calls them his crown. Or as the Living Bible states it, it says, you are my joy and my reward for my work. What work? The work of the witness, the work, if you will, of shining the light, the work, if you will, of being someone that will testify to the goodness and the greatness of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he wants them to stand fast there in Philippians. He wants them to stand fast in the Lord because if they will stay stood fast in the Lord, their change will come. Uh, a glorious body in exchange for the vile bodies. And so you have the reward and the return, the crown and the second coming coupled together again. Did someone say amen? Now, we looked at five crowns as the Bible describes them. I'm, I'm bringing this to a crown of rejoicing and the summation of all things. Okay, Based upon what we have studied for the past five weeks, it is my opinion from what I have studied and has shared with you that there are only two types of crowns among the five, really, that we've studied. What I mean by that is this. I believe that there is a literal crown. That will be the evidence of our love for God and our relationship with God. And I believe there is a figurative crown, which is the reward of having those we've influenced for the Lord, stand in the presence of the Lord on that great getting up day. So I believe there are two crowns, a real literal crown and a figurative crown, the crown of rejoicing that we are speaking about here tonight. That those are real people, yes, literal people, yes, but metaphorically they are a crown unto us, a crown of rejoicing. Each soul, represented on that day is just just like the sinner that repents or at least the likeness of a sinner that repents in the story of the lost sheep that is found. It's just like the sinner that repents and the similarity that's given in the story of the lost coin that is found. In both episodes where it says in the lost sheep episode, likewise there is joy in heaven when a sinner repents. But in the lost coin, likewise, there is joy in the presence of angels because of them. On that day, there will be joy, a crown of rejoicing because of their presence being in the presence of the Lord. They will be our joy and our crown in that day at his return. I believe that. But I believe the other crown, the literal crown, is, is that crown of life, the incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. All of those four, I believe, is nothing more but descriptions of the one crown that we will receive. 
Whenever I went through the study and I see the faithfulness and having to endure through this and the righteousness, the way that life has to be lived, and I read all this, all of these just merge together in their requirements or prerequisites, if you will, for receiving. Whenever I think of righteousness and I think of life and I think of glory and all that, we are describing one crown. Amen. Our love for the Lord in reality, our love for the Lord and our relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Amen. Dictate. Our faithfulness to him. Because I'm in relationship with him and I love him, then I live my life a certain way. Amen. It dictates the way that I run this this race because of the love and the affection that I have toward him. For that matter, the righteous conduct that I try to live here below is because, again, my love and my affection and my relationship that I have with the Lord and his spirit in my life and allowing the outworkings, if you will, of the will of that spirit to be performed in my life through living righteously. I believe this crown is a literal crown. I believe I have scriptural basis from the book of Revelation concerning that. The Bible says in Revelation 4 and 4, and round about the throne there were twenty and four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So John sees a vision, he sees a vision of heaven, you read in Revelation four. He sees a vision of heaven, he sees a throne. And around this throne are 24 seats, and in these seats are 24 elders that's sitting on the seats. The Bible says that the elders are robed in white raiment, and on their heads are crowns of gold. Now, just to walk a little bit from Revelation, it's been a long time since we've been in Revelation, so just walk a little bit, because I know everybody slept a thousand midnight, you know, a thousand nights since then. The number 24 has, has proven to be, I'm not going to tread through all the waters, just hit the tops of the trees, okay? The number 24 has been proven to, to be a representative number, a representative number of a larger group whenever it comes even to watching its path from the Old Testament to the New Testament. For instance, in the Old Testament priesthood in 1 Chronicles 24, there were 24 chief men who were the head of the 24 courses of the priesthood. One chief person over each course. We read of Zechariah whenever he, in the, even in the New Testament, when he offered up incense, he was serving in his course and so there were 24 chief men over each course but they those 24 chief men were the representatives of the entire priesthood those 24 chiefs represented a number much larger than 24 but they were the representative of the whole when you talked about the 24 the 24 chiefs you were speaking about the entirety of the priesthood furthermore in first chronicles 25 there were 24 chief singers and musicians that are listed in first chronicles 25 again these 24 chief singers and musicians are representative of all the singers and musicians that the temple utilized there were more than just 24 but these 24 chief ones were a representation of all of those singers and musicians that the temple would utilize and so in the book of revelation when we look at 24 elders or if you will spiritual leaders which what elders really equates to around the throne 
Can I tell you that the spiritual leadership of the 24, it's just in my estimation from our study in the book of Revelation back when, the 24 is a representative number of the church. All right? A representative number, part portion, if you will, of the whole. Just like when you had the 24 chiefs, you sing the whole priesthood and the 24 chief singers and musicians, you sing all of them. You see the 24 around the throne, that's a representation of the whole church. Note, if you read in Revelations 5, going just a little further with these 24 elders or the representative of the whole, these are those that sang the song about being redeemed. These are they that are of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. These are they that were made kings and priests in that kingdom. These are they that the Bible describes that they will reign with Christ on earth. That fits the identity of the church well. Someone say amen. And so if that is a representative of the church around about the throne, the Bible says they are clothed in white raiment. And white raiment throughout the scripture is generally the garments of the saints. Or if we might say of the church. Whenever the Lord, through John, spoke to the church at Sardis, the church of Sardis was told that if they overcame, they would be clothed with white raiment. The church of Laodicea was counseled to be clothed with white raiment. The wife of the Lamb of God, the church, the Bible said, made herself ready by wearing fine linen, that was granted to her. Revelations 19 and verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife, that's the church, hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so the church that is represented by the 24 elders about the throne not only had white raiment, but they had crowns of gold upon their heads. That same word crown that's been translated in other places that we have studied it along our journey is that crown that denotes a victor's crown. Someone that has finished their course someone that's run the race, someone that has won, if you will, the prize. But theirs, as we know we've been studying, is one that will not fade away and one that is incorruptible. I believe these crowns that we have studied up to this point of the juncture tonight, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the incorruptible crown, all of these crowns, I believe they are represented in that one crown that each of those elders had upon their head. And it denotes nothing more but an individual a church amen that was devoted to their love for God and the relationship with God they lived it out till the end someone say amen oh yes hallelujah hallelujah and that's the thing living it to the end the Bible says in Revelations 3 11 Jesus says behold I come quickly hope that's that which thou hast that no man take thy crown Again, when we see it upon the elders, it's, it's denoted as though it is singular in form. Here it's even denoted as singular in form. Let no man take thy crown. Amen. 
And so that kind of underscores my, my concept that all these different descriptors are describing one except when we talk about the crown of rejoicing when it's not a literal crown but a metaphorical crown of the people that was saved, amen, or helped save by your life, by your influence. Amen. And so he says, hope that's that which thou hast. What's he talking about? Well, you know, we're walking this path of righteousness. We're walking this path of being faithful. Well, you got to hold fast if you're going to be faithful. In order to be righteous in the end, when you were the same that you were when you were started, you got to hold fast. You need the same zeal, the same desire, the same effort. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Honey, I, you know, I, I'm amazed by the runners that in the last, the last little stretch headed toward the finish line, they pump everything in it, and it's like... You know what I'm saying? It's like they might have started out good and they might have kept pace, but when they see the end in sight, it's like, man, this all or nothing. They're going to expend themselves. Honey, we don't need to finish this race at a lesser speed or spot that we started the race with. Amen. We need, hallelujah. We need to have our eyes on the prize. For that matter, Revelations 4 in verse number 10, look at it now. The four and 20 elders fall down before him. This is the reaction that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crown before the throne. Each elder, boom, golden crown going down. What? Crown of righteousness. Call it whatever you will. Crown of life. Crown of glory. Incorruptible crown. They're throwing all that down at his feet. Because why? Because he is the ultimate reward. He, he is the ultimate reward. And so the other crown, the crown of rejoicing that we're finishing with tonight, again, metaphorical, is the people that we've impacted for the cause of Christ. Finish this phrase with me. Many will be able to do it. He that win the souls is... You read the same thing I did. Here's, here's the question I want us to entertain. Are we wise because it takes wisdom to win a soul? Or are we wise because souls are the only thing we can take with us to heaven? And they are our crown. Of rejoicing. For that matter, let's read the entire verse because a lot of times we chop that phrase out of the Bible and it's actually part of a verse. Of course, a larger context. Of course, you know, with Proverbs, it kind of hits and goes and you know, a little snippet there. A little. But it's part of a verse. It says in verse 30 of Proverbs 11, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that wins souls is wise. When I take that phrase, Bishop, of he that went of the souls wise, and I couple it with what it's coupled with, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, then I really got to read that second phrase, he that went of souls is wise, in light of the first phrase, that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Because the fruit grows out of the person. The fruit grows out of the tree. It is inseparable and from the tree unless it is plucked from the tree. We can, listen to me, we cannot win a soul if our fruit is not in the way of right living. 
fruit of righteousness to a tree of life. We cannot win a soul, Sister Jessup, unless our fruit is in the way of right living. So that being said, the crown of rejoicing will never be celebrated aside from the crown of life and righteousness and so on and so forth. In other words, Spurgeon kind of said it like this. He said, without fullness of life within, there cannot be an overflow of life to others. Let's go back to this. I said that you could have influence upon a life, whether knowingly or unknowingly, by someone's observation. Well, what fruit are they observing? What fruit are they observing if the fruit of righteousness then is to the way of a tree of life. What fruit are they observing? Amen. And so whenever we see this, there's got to be the fullness within so that there can be an overflow to others that are around about us. I see these crowns, if you will, then, all five coinciding with two, two great commandments of the Lord. A literal crown, yes, a metaphorical crown of the people being the crown of rejoice. I see these coinciding with the two great commandments of the Lord. Like when the lawyer came to Jesus and said, what, what, what are the greatest commandments? You remember it? And his response back to them, he says, all of the commandments hang up on these two. Love God. And what? Love your neighbor. I'm starting to see something come together here with these two crowns. The literal crown is a reception because of my love of God. And a crown of rejoicing because of my love for others, my neighbor. Someone say amen. The Bible says, the Bible says, so again, one crown underscoring our love and our relationship. With the Lord, the literal crown. The other one, that crown of rejoicing that the people are to us on that day when they stand before the Lord at his appearing is our love them for others. James 5 and 20 says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Because really, Let's, let's think here for a moment. Perhaps one of the greatest misunderstood acts of love is when it addresses the error in someone's life. Mm -hmm. To be on the receiving end of that, it don't feel too lovey-dovey. But in actuality, it is screaming love. James said, that converteth the sinner from the error of his way, saves a soul. And when this is done for a sinner, let's put it in the most basic term, when this is done for a neighbor, and I'm not talking about who lives next door to you, okay? Although that's, that's really acceptable too. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> when this is done for a sinner or a neighbor, it saves a soul from death. Folks, that's love. Yes, that's love. I'm not talking about being belligerent. I'm not talking about, you know, being rude and crude with how your presentation is. No, 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 no. But I'm saying carefully, patiently, steadily, helping someone see the way they're where they are is not the way where they need to be. 
That's love. This also, I believe, Sister Sheila, pertains very well with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, whenever he was talking about the crown. I think it was of righteousness in that one spot. He was talking about those two venues and positions and offices that he felt like he served in his life of being both the runner and the herald. Y'all remember that? Being the runner and the herald. Paul felt like both because like the runner, huh? he is running for the love and relationship he has with God. But as the herald, he's loving his neighbor, telling him what the rules and regulations of the race is. As a runner, Paul's abiding by the rules. He's staying within the boundary lines of his, of his white marks. You know, he's, he, he's not getting off track. He, he runs in such a way that he's not going to disqualify himself for the crown or the reward. But as the herald, as the herald, he's sharing with others, hey, this is how we're going to run the race. Thus and so, this and that. If you do that, it's going to disqualify. If you do this, whenever you get to the end, you will be a winner and you will receive a prize. And so as a herald, he shares with others what the rules and the regulations are. So why? So that they will be successful in the end of their race just the same as he is. And what do we get from both of those? A crown literal and a crown metaphorical. They're there in the end as he's there in the end and both are rejoicing in it together because they've made it. It's a crown, yes, of rejoicing. And so with doing that, being the herald, he loves them, running his race appropriately. He is loving, he is loving the Lord. These two crowns must have been set upon the heart and mind of Christ Jesus as he approached his own crucifix upon Calvary. Because these particular, I say specific things, I believe they are found there among the prayer. But these specific things are things that I believe that we can see in John 17 that Jesus even prayed about in his high priestly prayer. His high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17. Look at John 17 and verse number 9. This is Jesus praying. He says, I pray for them. That's reference to his disciples, those that were in close connection with him. But I pray for them, pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. I, I pray for them. You'll go on and look at other verses of Scripture in this same chapter. Jesus also says or prays in verse number six, six concerning these disciples, he says, they have kept thy word. He says in verse 13, he says that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says in verse 15, that thou shouldest keep them from evil. In other words, these things pertain to their manner of life lived for the Lord. Their joy fulfilled in themselves, kept from evil, keeping the word. These are things that we have seen. Amen. They are things that pertain to their relationship, items of relationship with the Lord. Now look. John 17 and verse number 20. Jesus goes on and says, Neither pray I for thee, speaking of the disciples again, alone, but for them, everybody say converts, also which shall believe on me through their, the disciples' word. Well, we got two items here again. Jesus is praying for them, and he's praying for the converts, 
that will be converted as a result of the disciples' word. It's a prayer for their, if I might say it like this, it's a prayer in reality for the disciples' influence among others, their love toward others, so that others might come to know the Lord. (laughs) This is, if you will, again, the peeking forth of the crown of rejoicing. It's the same thing even as I spoke to you on Sunday night, the elder John, amen, in in John and third John that said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children, not literal children, but spiritual children, children in the gospel, that my children dwell in the truth. So I have no greater joy because those that dwell in truth today, if they'll stay in truth till his appearing, what gives me joy now will be my crown of rejoicing then. It's the same thing as Paul speaking of the Thessalonians as being the glory and his joy. If you'll stand for me, I'll come to a close here tonight. Second Corinthians 1 and verse number 14, Paul is speaking here to the church at Corinth. So it's to the Corinthians. So here we are again. It's just not a segment of people. Thessalonians, Philippian people, Corinthian people. He says... As also you have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. What he's talking about, the second coming. He says, you, you say that we're your joy. He says, but you're ours in the coming of the Lord. If what? They're found in the presence of the Lord. Because Paul told him, whenever, whenever the Lord told him, said that, I'm giving unto you the word of reconciliation. You are to be the reconcilers now. He said, here's the thing, those that were lost and didn't know God. He says, it's as though God did beseech you through us. On some glad morning when this life is o'er and we fly away, I am persuaded according to Scripture that we shall receive a crown of life, righteousness, incorruptible glory however you wish to describe it, literally, from the Lord because of our love and affection, the way that we've lived our life for the Lord. But I am also persuaded that all those places I preached for those years of evangelizing and pastoring and people's lives that have been touched and changed and maybe just a little influenced that as they stand before the Lord, they are going to be a crown of rejoicing for my head and you have others that will be for your head. Maybe you can't fit them up on your head, but their being there is going to be a crown of rejoicing, joy and celebration. We've oftentimes talked about those moments, you know, getting to heaven someday, and who would ever know that if someone would walk up and say, you don't know me, but because of such and such, that day, that moment, or I observed my life. We talk about people in foreign fields. You don't know me, but because of your giving, Crown of rejoicing. Crown of rejoicing. Amen. What an exciting day that will be. What an exciting day that will be. Hallelujah. We bow our heads tonight. We're going to pray. Next week we'll start viewing the Lord's Day on the cross. We're going to be leading up to Easter. Amen on Wednesdays. But we want to pray here tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. I pray, O God, that you're able to help us, O Lord.
God, I pray, Jesus, we want, Lord, to run the race well. We want to run the race according to the prescription, Lord, of your word and according to your desire. God, according to the relationship that we have, Lord Jesus, with you. But God, we do along this journey want to take others along with us. God, it has often been said we cannot take anything. We cannot take our riches. We cannot take money or our possessions. But the only thing that can be taken with us, Lord Jesus, is people. God, and they will be the crown of rejoicing on that day. I pray, God, that would be family members and friends and strangers and people. I pray, God, of every country, Lord, of every tongue, Lord, of every nation. God, that collectively, Lord, we can throw our literal crowns, God, down before your throne because ultimately you you are the reward of rewards, Lord, of that day. But God, I pray, oh Lord, help us, Jesus, not to faint. Help us, God, not to lose heart. Help us, God, not to slack in our efforts, Lord, or our determination. Help us, God, not to be quiet or still, Lord Jesus, with the testimony of our lips and to the lives of others. God, or with the living of our life, Lord, fruit of righteousness unto a tree of life where others can pluck from God and their souls can be indelibly impacted. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, by a light that is lived for the Lord. I pray, oh God, today we want to hold fast to that which we have, that no man will take our crown. Hallelujah, Jesus, I love you. Can we raise our hands right now to the Lord and just thank Him? I love you, Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.